Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Tech Guide, episode 380. Hello and welcome and thanks for joining us once again. This is Stephen Fennec. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, Westpac has finally going to be offering Apple Pay to its customers. Embattled Chinese company Huawei comes out swinging and defends itself against what it calls false claims. And the new virtual power plant that can help customers save big money on electricity. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at the Star Wars edition of the Samsung Galaxy Note 10 Plus. It's a beauty. We also run our eye over the Microsoft 15-inch Surface 3 laptop. And we'll also check out the new Samsung curved gaming monitors if you're into gaming. This is pretty serious. And we'll also answer all your tech questions in the Tech Guide Help Desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and also Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Well, according to the responses on my story, that also these people also happen to be Westpac customers. According to them, hell has frozen over. Westpac is finally going to be offering Apple Pay to its customers in 2020, June 2020 to be precise. So Westpac, be, they'll become the fourth last of the four major banks to offer Apple Pay after, and in this order, ANZ, back in 2016, I think, Commonwealth Bank, I think at the beginning of last year, this year, this year, and National Australia Bank. So the ANZ, ComBank, National Australia Bank, in that order, already have Apple Pay for its customers. Westpac, better late than never, June 2020. But there is even more good news because if you happen to be uh, with a financial institution that's under the Westpac umbrella, uh, banks like St George, Bank of Melbourne, and Bank of South Australia... You can get Apple Pay now. No waiting. You can get it straight away. But if you're a Westpac customer, you've got to wait till June 2020. Now, I've seen in the years that Apple Pay has been offered, now more than three and a half years now here in Australia, I have seen Apple customers, so iPhone users, Apple Watch users, I have seen these people change banks so they can use Apple Pay. So that, to me, proves that a customer's loyalty to their phone, the brand of their phone and their operating system of their phone is greater than their loyalty to their bank. Because if you're willing to switch banks to use Apple Pay, that's pretty big. Now, Samsung Pay has been around for a while, and they, from the word go, have all had, have had all the banks, all the major banks, Westpac, ComBank, National Australia Bank and the Commonwealth Bank, all, all the big four, ANZ, they've had all of them from the get-go. Apple, 
have finally brought the last of the big four to the table. And this is big news. If you're a customer, the, the responses I had from customers were, were very funny about how, oh, finally we're getting it. And they've been waiting a long time. There have been, though, and I know this for a fact that some readers have contacted me, former Westpac customers who the reason they left Westpac was because they never had Apple Pay. They went to the, some of the other three major banks and took their business with them. So it's that's fascinating that this this type of loyalty is out there. And it is convenient. Anyone who's used Apple Pay, and I love using Apple Pay, it's so convenient. I love using it on my Apple Watch. And it's like doing a magic trick for the shopkeeper because they go, what, what, what just happened? They see that the sale has gone through. They get the big tick. They get the receipt through. It's worked. But they're just fascinated that I didn't have to get my wallet out of my pocket. I just double tap the button on the side, put it towards the terminal, and boop, it's done. And yes, you can do it with your phone. It's very easy. You can do it with your your iPhone that uses Face ID. You can use it with your phones that have Touch ID. And you can use it with Apple Pay. You can also use it online. Apple Pay works. Some websites offer it as well. So you can use that while you're online shopping. So don't think you're just restricted to being in stores with Apple Pay. Now, if you're wondering what you need to do, for those of you, some of you Westpac customers listening to this right now, or St. George customers, uh, Bank of Melbourne, Bank of South Australia customers, uh, here's what you need to do. To add your card to Apple Pay on an iPhone, you need to open the wallet app, then hit the plus symbol in the top right-hand corner, follow the instructions. To add your card to Apple Pay on an Apple Watch, you need to open the Watch app on your iPhone, tap Wallet and Apple Pay, and then select Add Credit or Debit Card. Follow the instructions. Now, if you're paying in store with an iPhone that uses Face ID, you double tap the side button and you unlock the the phone just by looking at it and then just hold your iPhone near the terminal. If your phone happens to have a touch ID, so fingerprint reader, a home button, you hold the phone near the reader with your finger on the home button so that it reads your fingerprint as you're tapping it to or near the terminal with touch ID. Apple Watch users, I've already described, just double-click the side button, hold the watch up near the reader, and that's how the magic happens. You'll get a few people really fascinated with that whole process. I love doing that because I don't have to get my wallet out of my pocket. It's there. I don't even ask for a receipt because I'm going to get it through through my bank and the Apple Watch gives me a notification as well. And Apple well, Apple Pay, people think, how safe is Apple Pay? It's actually more safe than a credit card. If someone had your credit card, they could tap away and spend hundreds of dollars and w- without you doing anything. You've got to ring the bank. Hopefully you get the, to the bank in time without you, them, anyone else making a sale. But in the case of Apple Pay, because it is powered by your face ID or touch ID, or you have to be wearing it paired to a watch that has Apple Pay, a phone, tap to a, paired to a phone that has Apple Pay, uh, then that, that's, that's, uh, that's security as well. But the transaction itself generates a unique token for that sale. So not even the shopkeeper or the store that you're shopping at will ever see your credit card information. They'll get your money through this special transaction, but they won't have your credit card details. They won't know anything about you apart from the fact that you purchased this product with this special token using Apple Pay. They get their money. They don't get your information, and Bob's your uncle. So, yes, it is safe, more safe than 
than using, a, than using plastic, even safer than that. You want to read more about that story? If you're a Westpac customer, tell us how happy you are or tell us how angry you are as well because you've waited so long. Head over to techguide.com.au to read that story. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. Now, Huawei have been in the wars. They're in the middle of a trade war with the US and they've been banned from uh, 5G, uh, 5G bids uh, for their for the US uh, telco network and here in Australia. So they, are, uh, they were not allowed to offer a tender for their 5G network build. And... They've, they've been doing it tough the last couple of years in the network space. Uh, I think very it's, it's pretty common knowledge that Australia's decision not to use Huawei in the 5G rollout came uh, as a result of some pressure from the US. They, they, they wanted some, some backup for their, for their decision. Huawei have uh, always defended themselves in terms of the, the reputation of the company and whether the fact that they're a Chinese company, there's a lot of speculation and, and false claims, which we'll get to in a minute, that they're controlled by the Chinese government, that they build in back doors and all this misinformation that, that's out there, false claims as Huawei have called them, they've just released a report to that details a long list of these false claims. We're going to go through them one by one. But first up, they're claiming that the U.S. government is spreading this misinformation and implying that the State Department knows more about network te- networking technology than the telco operators themselves. So they're kind of uh, not, not coming off too smart right there. But Huawei's also got a gripe, though, with former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, who based his decision to ban the company from the Australian tender because of what it's calling false information he got it wrong the, the the biggest the biggest problem here is that it is and, and without getting too technical there are parts of the 5g network which never shall meet so the data and the radio sections of a network uh, in the case of 5g never that one would never access the other there's a clear separation between the core and non-core radio access networks in 5G architecture. This has been presented as well and accepted by the U- a UK parliamentary committee. So this isn't Huawei saying this. This is the UK parliament saying this and based uh, after a, a huge report. And it's, it's this information that, that they claim Turnbull got wrong before making his decision to rule them out of the 5G bid. Funny enough... The decision to ban Huawei from 5G in Australia came on the same day he was ousted from the prime ministership by Scott Morrison. So how's that for his his last act as prime minister was to uh, to ban Huawei, which Huawei claims he uh, he's got that information, the information that he based his decision on to ban the company. He said they say is incorrect. So anyway, let's go through. Here are Huawei's long list of what they call false claims. False claim number one, Huawei offers the cheapest equipment because it gets Chinese government funding. Wrong. The Chinese government, this is a privately owned company, by the way. We'll get to that. But the company has never, ever claimed its equipment is cheaper. This is Huawei saying this, by the way, not me. It is, in fact, higher than most vendors. Telcos don't even go for the cheapest 
equipment either. They want value for money. They want a network that's going to work. False claim number two, Huawei's 5G equipment isn't really advanced and its 5G patents lack relevance and value. Huawei has actually the highest number of 5G patents and the largest number of granted patent families that are essential for 5G, and that's according to CPA Global. False claim number three, according to Huawei, Huawei does not share Western values. Well, in the digital domain, they say that privacy and security are valued as much by Huawei as they are in the US and other Western countries. Huawei has publicly stated that it complies with all applicable privacy laws globally. And in terms of security, no Huawei customer, so in other words, no telecom telecommunications company in the world, whether it's Telstra, Optus, any of these other countries around the world where Huawei, not that they've created Telstra's network, that's created by Ericsson, but the 4G network of Optus was created by Huawei. So none of their customers, and and by customers I mean telcos around the world, none of their customers have ever experienced major cybersecurity breaches. So there's no evidence that Huawei has ever been compromised by the Chinese government or any other actors, so other countries as well. False claim four, Huawei steals intellectual property. Well, Huawei is the largest maker of telco equipment in the world. It'd be like Samsung, the world's number one smartphone manufacturer, accusing them of stealing intellectual property, although probably Apple and other companies might say they have, but that's another story. In this case, Huawei, largest maker of telco equipment in the world with 500 telecom operators around the world buying their equipment. And this includes more than 200 Fortune 500 companies investing in their equipment. And they would have been shunned years ago, Huawei says, if these companies thought they were stealing someone else's IP. False claim number five, removing Huawei gear from from networks will be easy and quick. Well, in Australia, Huawei is already part of the 4G network and replacing existing equipment would literally run into the billions. In the US, removing Huawei gear from the networks would force 40 small wireless operators in in underserved and remote areas to scrap millions of dollars worth of equipment. So it ain't cheap and easy to do this. False claim number six, the US campaign against Huawei is not linked to the trade war with China. Huawei thinks differently. Huawei says the motivation behind the campaign, this is Huawei's words, the motivation behind the campaign against the company is geopolitical and also linked to the trade war. Now, in May 2019, May this year, President Trump said, if we, were, if we made a deal, I could imagine Huawei being possibly included in some form or part of it. So the assumption that they're not linked that China, Huawei hasn't been included in any thoughts about China, that, that's false too, because they are. It is, uh, it is geopolitical, and it is linked to the trade war. False claim seven, Huawei can easily hide harmful backdoors in its products. So the fear for a lot of countries, including the US and now Australia, is that Huawei, when they build their 5G network, install little, little backdoors so they can gain information. Now, The Chinese government does not control private companies, even for those located within its borders. So Huawei is a privately owned company. And in fact, Clifford Chance, a global law firm headquartered in London, says Chinese law does not give Beijing the authority to compel telco equipment firms like Huawei to install backdoors and listening devices. And because of Huawei's high level of scrutiny, 
any attempt to even try to install a backdoor would be detected by one of its 500 telecom customers around the world. False claim number eight, Huawei has unusually close ties to the Chinese government and the identity of its owners is a closely guarded secret. Wrong again. The identity of Huawei shareholders is public information and as I mentioned, Huawei is actually a private company that is 100% owned by its employees. So no shareholders here. The shareholders are the employees because they're part of the company. So it's privately, it's not listed on the stock exchange. And there is no special relationship, according to Huawei, with the Chinese government. The, chi- the company has contacts with various governments, including the Chinese government, but no different to any other sizable tech company. Finally, false claim number nine, blocking Huawei won't slow the pace of 5G rollouts worldwide. Blocking Huawei, uh, they're a significant player in, in the 5G, 5G networks. So when you only have a handful of competitors to begin with, blocking the significant player is going to have a massive effect, including increasing the cost of the rollout. According to Oxford Economics, banning Huawei from building out 5G infrastructure could increase that particular country's 5G investment costs by up to 20% and slow technological innovation. In the US, more than 90% of wireless infrastructure sales are made by just two companies, Nokia and Ericsson. So you decide for yourself. Huawei, they've been whether they've been unfairly banned or fairly banned from the 5G bid, they are not allowed to tender. They are one of the leading 5G network companies, uh, and the rollout I'm, I'm sure would be happening a lot faster than it is right now if they were given access. There, there may be a, a change of tune by the US government, and if they do that, there'll certainly be a change of tune by by the Australian government as well. They are, as I said, working from a directive by the US, which is their great. Uh, economic ally to give Huawei the wide berth as well. You want to read all of those in depth, those what, what Huawei claims or what they are saying are false claims against them, you can check all of them out at techguide.com.au. Now, how high are electricity bills nowadays? Uh, as you know, I'm, I'm a solar panel and battery man and have been for more than two years now. And I pay a flat rate of electricity through Sonnen using their Sonnen flat program because we form our own power plant. So we are all linked together, our panels and batteries. We, we receive power, we share power. And for that luxury, all it costs us per month, on top of our equipment costs, of course, so that's our investment. But uh, all I pay per month is $40 for Sonnen Flat. And that's uh, my electricity bill per month. I get that from Sonnen. They are now my energy provider. And I do not get a bill from Energy Australia. But there is a new type of virtual power plant that's been introduced. There's a collective of energy tech companies that have join forces to create what they're calling a virtual power plant. It's a pilot program that uses blockchain technology, so a kind of AI, that could help save customers up to $2,500 a year on their energy bills. Now, there's, there's two trading companies involved here. There's Power Ledger and wholesale energy retailer Power Club, and they've partnered with German battery manufacturer Sonnen, who makes my battery, and Natural Solar, one of Australia's largest solar panel installers, to launch this initiative. 
Now, to explain how it works, a virtual power plant is created when a network of solar-powered homes and batteries pool their energy and feed it back into the grid so other households and the wider community can access more affordable solar-generated power. Now, the benefit if you're a virtual power plant member, so if you're contributing to this pool, the benefit for you is a feed-in fee, so you can make money, while the customers get access to cheaper power. So it's pretty simple to explain, to understand, and any customer who can get access to cheaper power, because let's face it, you're at the mercy of the power companies, if they can charge you whatever they like, but here comes Power Ledger and Power Club, who now have their brokers to this contributed energy, they can do you a deal. So they're, 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 and because it's blockchain enabled, they've created this trading platform so its members can make it easier for them to pool their net solar power and battery storage to create the virtual power plant. And the difference here is that you get better, you get a better idea of what you're going to get for your money when you contribute back into the grid, unlike your regular feed-in. Whatever you feed in, you're given a few bucks, and then the energy company can turn around and then sell your power at, at peak rates and make five times what they gave you. But in, in this instance, with members of Power Club and Power Ledger's technology, they'll allow them to profit from the power spikes and demand shortages. So they get the money in their pocket rather than selling it for a small amount to the electricity company and them making the money when the, when the demand spikes. So that's, uh, that, that's a good news for customers there. Now, this is a pilot program, as I mentioned. It's going to start in South Australia. South Australia seems to be the savvy state that offers things like battery rebates. I think there's a, it's a, there's a $4,500 battery subsidy scheme, uh, so they, you can access that. But it is going to move to the western states, so sorry, the eastern states, that's um, Queensland, New South Wales, and Victoria. It'll move, the pilot program is expected to expand to these states in 2020. But uh, a good idea if you want to, if you've got solar and battery and you want to, you want to profit from that. And also, though, in the mean, in, in thereby creating this, this affordable pool of electricity, if you're a customer, you now get a chance to access that cheaper electricity. And rather than getting bill shock every quarter for your regular electricity bill, you can try something that's going to save you potentially up to $2,500 a year. Now, that is definitely worth checking out. If you want to read more about that story, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. In a world where you're constantly connected, cyber attacks are more prevalent than ever. Especially at Christmas time, there's a lot of phishing scams and ransomware. You could become a victim. Uh, and have the risk also of big data tracking your every move. Well, these cyber threats have evolved, which is why Norton has evolved with them. The new Norton 360 gives you next-level protection, combining the power of device security with a secure VPN to help keep you and your family safe and private online. The new Norton 360 is all-in-one protection for your devices and for your online privacy. It's available now at leading retailers or AU .norton.com And now a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. 
Well, I thought it'd be appropriate, seeing that Star Wars only opened a few days ago, that we talk about a Star Wars product. And for those who are keen to hear my thoughts on Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, and the conclusion to the Skywalker saga, I've actually already recorded a special edition of the Tech Guide podcast, a special Star Wars edition, for you to hear my thoughts on the movie, my review, my thoughts on not only this film, but also the conclusion of that nine-film saga. But if you are a Star Wars fan like I am, you will love the new Galaxy Note 10 from Samsung, which has is a Star Wars special edition. Now, there's a limited number of these. It's uh, They've partnered with Disney uh, to create this limited edition that is obviously... Time to uh, coincide with the new film's release, The Rise of Skywalker. And we got it in our hot little hands, and I have to say, it is amazing. This is, you already got a great phone, the Galaxy Note 10 Plus. Review, we've reviewed that on Tech Guide. It is one of the most powerful phones you can own. But the Star Wars edition is next level. And it's obviously got a, an allegiance to the dark side because there's a First Order symbol on the back. There's the Star Wars logo. There's all, all, also this beautiful red framing around the camera module on the back panel. And the side buttons are also uh, highlighted in red. The phone itself is a is a silvery grey colour. Uh, and just looking at that, is the, it, it sets it apart from the regular Note 10 Plus. Also comes with a leather case that has a, a etched picture of Kylo Ren and his helmet, including the silver highlights of his of, of the helmet as well, uh, that that fits, of course, perfectly with the Note 10 Plus. But to add to the experience is a red S Pen, which looks like a lightsaber. So whenever you pull it out, it makes the lightsaber ignition sound. So it's a that's a cool little touch. There's also sounds on the phone. So whenever I get a call, it's the Kylo Ren theme, you know, that trumpeting John Williams music. And I let the phone ring. I like it so much. I let the people say, how come it took you so long to ring? I said, I was listening to the, to the ringtone. And uh, there's also sounds of this a Star Wars activation sound to signify whether you're getting a notification as well. There's also wallpapers and themes. So you can get uh, the, the wallpaper of Kylo Ren, the Knights of Ren, uh, you can use that as the lock screen, as the home screen. Uh, th- there's also themes as well. So n- the icons are even have even been changed. Like the contacts icon uh, is actually a, the helmet of the Sith Trooper. Uh, and, and the calculator, the clock, even the phone, the messages, they've all got special Star Wars symbols around them. And they've also got a dark theme. So black background, red writing, they're, they're very much uh, aligned to the dark side. But what also comes with the phone, apart from the case uh, and the phone itself, is a 3D plaque. So this little souvenir plaque of Kylo Ren, and you can see the detailed red cracks in his helmet. Because in in the, in the, you see this in the trailer, he actually puts the pieces of his helmet back together with his obviously red welding material, and there are now all red cracks all the way through it. But the box itself, it is a remarkable. Uh, uh, really beautifully boxed and packaged. So opening, unboxing this phone, you'll see this picture of Kylo Ren with his hood. But then when you take the box out of the slipcase, it's Kylo Ren's helmet with the red cracks through it and with the words, I'll show you the dark side. 
Then when you open up the box, you see on top the cover with Kylo Ren, uh, his picture of his helmet on the back, and the little Kylo Ren 3D plaque. Then a little drawer opens up on the bottom, and, and there's a like, star field that says Star Wars Arrives of Skywalker on the lid as well. You open up the drawer, and there's this Galaxy Note 10 box, and the Galaxy Buds as well. There's matching Galaxy Buds, which are black and uh, glossy black and red to match the phone. So you're getting the full experience, the whole Star Wars experience. If you're a fan and you're a Note user, this is the phone for you. It's priced at $1,999, which is the price of the Note 10 Plus anyway. It's available from a limited time from the Samsung online store, JB Hi-Fi, and Harvey Norman online stores as well. The force is very, very strong with this one. If you want to see it up close, that's it in my hand using the Galaxy Note 10 Plus Star Wars Edition. You can check that out at techguide.com.au. Well, next up, we're looking at a laptop, uh, not just any old laptop, the Microsoft 15-inch Surface 3 laptop. Now, it's the first time Microsoft has ventured into the 15-inch laptop space. Their Surface laptops are quite popular. So uh, it has the 13-inch models have already done very well in the market, and the new 15-inch, uh, we've got very high, we had very high expectations, and, and they, they delivered in, for the most part in terms of the touchscreen and the, the quality of that screen. The On the design side, they are pretty sleek looking. They're pretty thin, 14.69 uh, millimetres thick. Not too heavy either, just a touch over 1.5 kilos. So watch for what you're getting. It's not too bad. But there's also that 15-inch touchscreen, as I said. It's got a resolution of 2496 by 1164 with 201 PPI, which is pixels per inch. And it's a touchscreen, don't forget. So you can't get that with your Mac Pro or a MacBook Air or any Mac laptop. Uh, screen almost goes edge to edge. Uh, if it had have gone further edge to edge, had thinner bezels, they would have could have possibly even got up to a 16-inch model here, a la the Apple MacBook Pro, the new 16-incher, which is basically the same footprint as the 15-incher, but just with thinner bezels so they could fit in a larger screen. Microsoft could have very easily done that, but I think that would have cost a little bit more. That would have then made this out of reach of its target customer, which is... Your everyday customer, I like to say. Now, th this isn't a weak laptop by any means. You can do a lot of work on this thing. But if you are, if your main work is video editing, you're a graphic designer, you're editing photos, high-end stuff like this, this computer may struggle to handle it. It, it, it is very much a, a, an everyday laptop, I call it. It's powered by, it's got the Ryzen uh, processor, the AMD Ryzen 5 processor, which is about the same strength as a, an Intel Core i5 processor. So it's a mid-range device. This isn't your pro-level laptop. So if you are that kind of user, you may need to look elsewhere. But for the most part, for your average user, this works really well. Uh, it's got it's got a, a camera on top of the screen that also is used for Windows Hello, which is how you can unlock it with your face, which I liked. Worked nearly every time and did it very quickly. Uh, keyboard's the same size as the 13-inch model, so nothing new there. 
The keys, though, are very well spaced apart. They're, they're really comfortable to type on. They remind me of the new keyboard on the MacBook Pros. The 16-inch MacBook Pro has a... They've gone back to the butterfly mechanism, and they are much more comfortable, a bit more travel on the keys. Quite nice. Uh, on the connectivity side, the Surface 3 laptop's a bit skinny. It has only got one USB-A port and one USB-C port. And there's only one headphone jack. At least with the MacBook Pro, there are four lightning ports, which look like USB-C ports. But the USB-C port on this laptop, the Microsoft laptop, does not support Thunderbolt 3. So uh, you, you can't connect external monitors or mirror your desktop on an external monitor. Uh, uh, on the other side, too, I thought that was an SD card slot. It's not. It's actually the charging port, you know, their blade charger that they have on their on the Surface laptops and now on the Surface 3, Surface uh, tablets and now the Surface laptops. So, yeah, disappointed there. Didn't have a, a micro SD or even an SD card slot. But uh, as we said, the Ryzen 5 struggled with those processor-heavy applications. So as I said, if your, main, if your main job with this thing is video editing and image editing, uh, even with 16 gig of RAM on board, it struggled a little bit. It can f handle full HD games. Uh, reasonably well, stream content reasonably well. So for your average user, as I said, this is not a bad choice. Power users uh, probably need to look for something a bit a bit stronger, a bit faster, and a bit more expensive. Battery-wise, uh, Microsoft said that you could run for up to 11.5 hours. Didn't get anywhere near that. We got about about eight and a half hours, I think, before we had to plug in the charger, which is which is reasonable. Uh, Price-wise, you're starting at 1,599 bucks, but the one we had in for review, which was the 16 gig of RAM, Ryzen 5, 256 gig of SSD, solid state drive, that was $2,239. So about the starting price of a 13-inch MacBook Pro. Just putting that in there in case people need to, a laptop, of that price, but with slightly more power, I think the MacBook Pro will probably do you a bit more, uh, a bit more justice there. But that's not to say this isn't a handy laptop for your average user who can uh, take it for a run, uh, put it through its paces, of course, with some decent applications. But if you're doing it all the time and really putting pressure on the processor, you may have to look for something a bit stronger. But in the meantime, the Surface Pro, Surface Three laptop, I should call it, has an impressive design. It's got an excellent 15-inch touchscreen. Don't forget. Decent battery life, great for perfect for mid-range users for both work and play. So uh, check it out, the Microsoft Surface 3 laptop. If you want to take a closer look at it, you can check it out. Our story is at techguide.com.au. Now, I know gamers, I'm one of them, uh, especially people who play on a PC, the getting the right tools to use uh, puts you puts you at an advantage. Uh, we we know that when it comes to equipment, gamers know a lot about them, and they could, as I said, can mean the difference between living or dying, winning or losing. And Samsung has actually listened to the customers, and they've delivered two new state-of-the-art curved monitors, including the world's first 240 hertz version. So there's two. There's the 49-inch CRG9, which is just a monster monitor, 14 inches. And there's the 27-inch CRG5, both powered by Samsung's QLED display technology. So the same technology that goes into their TVs are in these curved monitors. So they're curved for a reason, though, because the curve adds to the immersion and the ability for you to see the screen, which is because it's curved, is equidistant from the middle to the edges. 
So a normal screen, the edges are further away from your eyes than the centre. And in, a, in the gaming world, that could mean a lot because you need to see what's going on. You need to see what's happening in real time. So the first one, the 49-inch, the CRG9 curved gaming monitor. It's not cheap. It's $2,599. But this is a monster. It's got a 5120 by 1440 resolution. Stunning size. 40, when you see this thing, it is, is gigantic. So you can get this super wide field of view. It's got a 32 by 9 aspect ratio. So imagine a cinema screen has 16 by 9 aspect ratio. This is twice that. So twice as wide as a 16 by 9 cinema screen, just to give you an idea of the size of this. So there's plenty of real estate to play with there. So this, the, the screen, though, is in fact the equivalent of two 27-inch monitors side by side. And... It's incredible detail because so you're getting you're getting not only the detail but also that super wide viewing angle. But the the monitor also can be swiveled and tilted so you get the best viewing comfort. But there's also HDR on board so you get peak brightness of a thousand nits, true high dynamic range. So which is which is compatible with all the latest games. And because there's QLED on board, you also increase the monitor's colour gamut. So you're seeing more colours, pure and bright and realistic. So it looks good, but also performs well also. And that what does the heavy lifting there is the AMD Radeon FreeSync 2 HDR technology, which reduces screen stutter and screen tearing. So you want a smooth game, so the, keep, the monitor keeps up with the graphics so they remain clear and sharp, even at the height of battle. You don't want that distraction. There's also LFC, which is, called, which is short for Low Frame Rate Compensation, which also helps smooth out the gameplay. But the other thing, too, is latency. So a fraction of a second can mean a lot. So in terms of the latency, the CRG9 gaming monitor has a 120 hertz refresh rate and a response time of 4 milliseconds. So they combine to reduce image lag and motion blur, so yet another factor to get providing a smoother playing environment. So you play better, react better, win more games. There's also gaming modes, certain gaming modes as well to suit the type of game you're playing. So the gaming modes allow you to adjust contrast and colour settings to match the genre of the game. So you might be playing a first-person shooter or a real-time strategy game or a role-playing game. There are modes that suit each of those different types of games. There's even a virtual aim uh, on-screen crosshair. It's a virtual aim point to help you aim at your enemies. So with all of that, all of that on board, it is quite a package if you want to uh, take your gaming to the next level. Now, moving on, though, to the 27-inch CRG5 curved gaming monitor. This is $599, but it is the world's first to have a 240Hz refresh rate, the first curved gaming monitor to offer a screen ref refresh rate that is that high. Now, the 240Hz rapid curve offers the fastest gaming experience on the curved display, so you've got smooth and even more immersive experience. It's full high-definition resolution. You get this amazing contrast and image quality as well. Uh, and speed's what you need in game. So this 240Hz refresh rate has got you back, so you can react even quicker. Even at when you're using a mouse, you'll notice the quick and precise movers, movement helps you overcome your opponents as well. And the curve, as I said, feels like it's wrapping around you to immerse you even deeper into the game. It, it brings all parts of the screen 
even the edges at an equal distance to your eyes. So you can see in the whole screen rather than just the center of the screen. G-Sync compatibility, of course, as well. And that helps the screen's dynamically adapted refresh rate to eliminate screen tear and the stuttering as well. So it's got most of the features of the 49-inch, the but with that added, the 240 hertz refresh rate, response time of 4 milliseconds, uh, it has that as well, as well as the, it's got a three-sided bezel-less design. So the bezels are deliberately thin, top, bottom, and on left and right, in case you want to put a, have a dual monitor set up. So that, that way, it helps the paired, the paired monitors look like they're one screen. So really handy there, the G-Sync, uh, G-Sync monitors, curved monitors, fast refresh, refresh rates, 120 for the 49, 240 for the 27. If you are serious about your gaming, you should be serious also about your monitors. If you, can, you want to check those out, they're at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Now, we upgrade our devices, our smartphones and TVs and laptops, but when was the last time you updated your home Wi-Fi? It's probably been a while. Well, the future of Wi-Fi here is here. It's called Wi-Fi 6. If you watch your shows on services like Netflix and Disney Plus and Apple TV and Stan, you need the newest line of high-performance routers from Netgear. It's like giving your streaming the VIP treatment. The Netgear Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 routers give you ultra-fast speeds and wider coverage throughout your home. You get four times the capacity compared to today's Wi-Fi, which means you can connect more devices and stream simultaneously without impacting Wi-Fi speed and reliability. The devices of today and tomorrow demand more, so what you need is high-performance Wi-Fi that can keep up with you and your entire family. It's the biggest revolution in Wi-Fi ever, and you can be one of the first to have the next generation of Wi-Fi 6 technology with a Netgear Nighthawk router. Turn your Wi-Fi up to 6 with a Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 router. Go check it out today at netgear.com slash Wi-Fi 6. That's netgear.com slash Wi-Fi and the number 6. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk is brought to you by our mates at Belkin. They've got several charging solutions and cables and you name it. You want to check them out, belkin.com forward slash au. And today we're talking about dash cams. I did have a question. It's a good time of year to actually talk about dash cams because a lot of people are traveling, a lot of people are driving in the holidays, and having a dash cam is your way of keeping your eyes, they're your eyes and ears on the road. So if it is, God forbid, an incident, you have video footage of that incident, which can be used then for insurance claims, uh, even for in police reports, and even in court if you have to. So if it's your word against someone else's, you have video, a video record of what happens. And the dash cam is sensitive enough, if there is an accident, it knows to put that file in, a, in another folder, uh, as well as attach to it uh, a map and other metadata like your not only the location, but also the date, the time, and also the speed at which you were travelling. So this could potentially even clear you from uh, a fine. If, if you get a fine for going through uh, a red light, you, you may have video footage to prove that the light was still orange when you were already across the line. So it's, uh, in, in, 
exa- exactly the same circumstance. If you've got evidence, if you've, there's an accident, you can present your side of the story. So we've had a lot of readers uh, and listeners who were asking for recommendations. Uh, just off the top of my head, I would, I would recommend the Uniden iGo Cam 85R. Reason I'd, I'd say that is because it is a 4K dash cam, one of the first 4K dash cams, that allows you then to see a lot more added detail on the road. Things like the colours and makes and models of cars, number plates, street signs, people, allows you to have that added detail. The rear camera, which also also included, is full HD, so not quite 4K, but still, if you don't have a reversing camera, you can turn the rear camera into a reversing camera as well as being your rear dash cam as well. Dash cams, definitely worth trying, uh, definitely worth investing in one these holidays. Uh, it could uh, give you the info that can save you on your insurance and save you perhaps uh, a trip to court if you have your side of things it is really cool to have and you might even come up with some cool dash cam videos you can share online i love those youtube channels that do that the dash cam definitely worth a try and that is our show for not only this week but also our last show of the year Everything we've talked about on the show, you can find at techguide.com.au. And if you want to get in touch, you know where to find us. We'll be checking our emails over Christmas, info at techguide.com.au. We want to give a special shout-out to our sponsors. who have been great supporters all year and in the years gone by. Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs. And also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Very important. Thank you all for listening. We've really uh, enjoyed your support this year, uh, listening to our Tech Guide podcast. We look forward to you joining us again, though, in 2020. Have a very happy Christmas. And until next time, stay safe and stay connected. (laughs) 